everyone, and welcome to another episode of Justin the Food Entrepreneur's Podcast. I'm Justin Bizarro. I'm your host. That's B-I-Z-Z-A-R-R-O. You can reach out to me at Justin Bizarro on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. You can also find the podcast at Justin and the Food Entrepreneurs on Instagram and Facebook. So, thank you everyone for listening in. I appreciate all the listens. I see a lot more people listening in and subscribing during the whole quarantine thing across the world, so I appreciate you guys. Um, I am also sad to say that we've had the last two episodes canceled um, because the two companies that were going to be on the podcast have closed their doors. Um, So that was kind of an awakening, I should say. Um, I actually cried a little bit. It was weird. I don't even really know these people because I usually get to know people over the podcast, but it made me sad um, that their businesses have suffered so much and um, that they've had to close their doors and are talking about declaring bankruptcy. And, you know, we have stimulus packages about to come out and all that stuff for small businesses. So um, I advise anyone out there that's listening in that, um, just try to get through the period and apply for a stimulus package if you have employees. Um, try to keep your doors open and get through this period. And I really feel that we have an opportunity coming. I don't know what it is, but I do feel that the world is changing and with change and hardship comes opportunity. So, um, you know, if you want advice or you don't want to feel alone or you want help, you know, um, with something or a question or what's going on with your business, reach out to me, reach out to other entrepreneurs who have been on the podcast. Um, that's why we're on here. So that's been a little bit sad. And um, However, I do also have on the other side a lot of entrepreneurs talking about how they're listening to the podcast and they are pivoting and they are changing their model and they are getting into more delivery services or online ordering through their website. Um, as well as grab and go depending on the type of restaurant. So that's encouraging. You know, we can't give up. Um, I know it's hard and I know a lot of people are like, this is too hard and I don't want to get people sick. And and believe me, I'm not talking about traveling and I'm not talking about spreading something. What I'm talking about is just moving forward in any way that we can because we're going to have to rebuild our businesses. We're going to have to rebuild an economy uh, once all of this is done. So... That being said, today I have with us um, my co-host, Sandra Vaughn. How are you doing today, Sandra? Doing well, doing well. Thank you. Good to be here. Mm, Yeah, it's um, everyone's doing well, and um, it's great that you guys have been able to get on. And actually, what I'm very excited about is that Kevin Greider of Midwest Fresh is on again. How are you doing today, Kevin? Hey, Justin. Doing great. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, you're welcome. And so Kevin's getting back-to-back episodes, it looks like, on the podcast, like I said, because of those two cancellations. And, um, you know, if you guys are listening out there um, and and you haven't fully closed your doors yet and there's hope, um, you know, please reach out again. I, I've tried to reach out to them and say, you know, what can I help you with or, or give you advice on and stuff like that but I think some people um are just afraid of what's going on right now so it's less about yes I'm losing money but I think some people are panicking right now that they're not going to recover um and so they just close their doors and I think that's 
pretty tough um because i don't have that type of attitude i find optimism and everything um i obviously have fear that goes on but you know sandra and kevin i mean what do you think about all of that and and kevin you're in business and you are a food entrepreneur as well i mean has it occurred to you to close your doors right now yeah um i'm actually working with uh so it the last episode I explained about my consulting background and the, the restaurant background. Uh, so I'm actually working with somebody to open up something right now. There you go. That's an opposite take. So tell us about that and, and why you're still deciding to move forward. Well, I think, uh, you know, to touch base on what you said first there, I think that that's real sad and an unfortunate situation. And I, I understand why people are, are seeing things like that. And, and furthermore, I don't think, you know, like you mentioned, everything's going to bounce right back. And I, I, I agree with you. I think it's going to bounce right back. However, I think it's going to bounce back to a different, you know, everything is going to be a little bit different. There's going to be a lot more people eating at home for a while. The acclimation period is going to take a lot longer. And so for people to close their doors, you know, sometimes, you know, you don't know the background on that. Maybe they've been, you know, considering it for a while already, or maybe they've, uh, you know, it's their time has come, you know, their uh, son or daughter don't, doesn't want to take it over and they tried to give it, you know, one more push. And this was kind of the last straw thing. So I, I, uh, you know, it's sad, but at the same time I get it. And it's tough because the whole restaurant and food service industry is tough. It's, it's, you know, it's a bloodthirsty, thirsty industry. Um, there's no question about it. Kevin, it, it sure is. I had dabbled in it a few, for a few years myself. And I just uh, wanted to say that along, along this, this train of thought, I was on a coaching call earlier this week. And one of the things that we discussed was the idea of creation of, of a, a product or a project and then maintenance of that project. And then the, the natural follow-up for that is destruction of a product or project. And, and I honestly feel like for a lot of us, we're in that destruction phase and it's an uncomfortable place to be. Um, it, it's not something that, that necessarily feels good to us, but the very next thing that comes is creation again it's a it's cyclical it's a loop um so in terms of of to justin's point finding the positivity and and finding what is out there next and and exactly what you are doing which is creating a new business so so what always follows destruction is creation um so i think that's what we want to really focus on is is yes we're here it's uncomfortable but it's a necessary part of the the world and the environment that we live in whether we're talking about restaurants whether we're talking about um food food you know products or whether we're just talking about you know the the cycle of life absolutely and so kevin um what is your new business do you want to talk about it and and tell us about what what this new venture is or is it something that we're we're still gonna have to wait and keep the audience waiting and have to do a part three (laughs) um we can do a part three however i can explain what's kind of going on uh so 
well, I already explained that Midwest Fresh started as a consulting firm or agency. It was just me in the beginning, and uh, I've opened up a decent handful of restaurants. I'm going to look at my list here real fast. It, it started in 2017, I want to say, and it just kind of kept expanding and kept expanding and then into the the food service and now the retail industry. And it looks like I've, I've got restaurant plans for 11 companies right now in my computer here I'm looking at, and I'll have uh, a 12th here soon. So Kevin, I was wondering if as, as you're moving that forward, Describe for us how it's it's different now than it was, say, six months ago. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, one thing, my uh, the pizza sauce sales for food service have kind of gone up for me because there's a lot of people ordering carry-out food and to-go food and delivery food, and pizza is probably one of the number one, you know, delivery foods in the in the country, so... I'm just glad that I have a few products out there that, you know, are in different categories. And uh, one thing that I think important to touch base on what we, you know, we're talking about in the beginning was that even in a recession like this, people still have to eat. Like that's the one thing about our industry that is unique. It's not like any other industry where, you know, it's not like a. Exactly. In, in 2008, when all the golf courses closed because no one can afford to go to play golf anymore. Everybody still has to eat. So granted, I have a few higher-end products. Well, I call them higher-end because of the price point mainly, like the bacon jam and bacon is expensive and so on and so forth. However, pizza sauce is not necessarily like a high-end item, you know. And um, people are going to revert back to those foods that are affordable and make them feel good during a time like this. And I'm just glad that I have something that uh, fits into, you know, fits into the schedule. Kevin, one of the ways that um, I use your bacon jam and, and you probably hear this all the time is, is I put it on my proteins, like my salmon and my chicken, but I also put it into my, um, you know, my vegetables. And, and so it, it for me will always be a staple in my pantry because even if I'm eating, you know, plant-based two out of three meals a day or one out of two, depending on how many meals a day I eat, um, you know, I'll get that flavor. I'll get that flavor in there. Even if the rest of my meal is, is, um, you know, more focused on the vegetables that I'm eating. So I just think that, you know, some of what we, we are talking about, in terms of the nutrition world, because I'm a dietitian and, and always talking about food consumption and how nutrient dense it can be. Um, we, we talk a lot about, you know, how to get more nutrition. in. so looking at adding the flavors through some of those, what you call higher end products, even though that jar might cost more, you know, it actually goes across so many more meals. So I, when I'm shopping now, which I'm doing a lot more shopping too, um, because obviously we're all eating out less, uh, I'm looking for those types of high punch items, you know, lots of flavor. They give me some, um, you know, 
protein a little bit and and I'm just in general it's just a, a great type of product for me so um you know I would encourage you too to just keep developing those kinds of things you seem to have yeah, but, a knack for it thank you I've been trying to think of you know some newer some new items to come up with that are more along the lines of uh one of a kind you know similar to like the bacon jam instead of well pizza sauce and it sells well and Everybody loves pizza. However, pizza sauce has been around for a long time. Bacon James kind of new on the scene. So uh, those unique products are definitely fun, and people like to cook with them. Justin, what other questions did you get from yeah. the last podcast? So, um, Kevin, yeah, what is... I can back real fast and answer your first question about the restaurant, if yeah. you want me to. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, so everybody knows that these restaurants are getting hit real hard right now. And one thing that other than people that, you know, like dietitians or people that work out every day or uh, somebody in that category, nobody really utilized the, the meal prep that everybody seems to be interested in now all of a sudden. So... And a lot of the meal prep is more based along the lines of healthy and fit for certain diets or lifestyles or nutrition packages. Um, so we we had plans to start this restaurant in a town about 20 minutes from my hometown. It's a real small, small country town. There's There's literally one flashing stoplight in the entire place. And... Uh, there's already a, a barbecue joint there that does really well, and it pulls from all the bigger cities around. It's kind of it's a very country feel, and uh, it just has a lot of foot traffic. There's a small highway that goes up to the lakes where everybody obviously goes during the summertime with their boats, so it, it gets a lot of uh, vehicle traffic, and it seemed like a good place to try to reopen a restaurant that used to exist years ago back when I was a kid, it closed down and it was called Marty's pub. And I remember even as a kid going there and Marty's pub was like the place to go. You know, it was one of those just super high end, really nice restaurants. And it closed down quite some time. You know, when I was a kid, I can't remember the exact year, and everybody's talked about it ever since then, and the building's just been sitting there. Um, and when I got into the kitchen, a lot of people work out of small kitchens, so you're going to think that I'm joking when I say this. There's a 28-foot hood. It's like you know, one of our kitchens. That's yeah, like yeah, a commercial a kitchen. <laughs> it's huge. And like, they don't even have, they didn't even have equipment under all of it. Like it was just somebody installed a huge hood and it's a nice kitchen. It's laid out well. So there's a lot of potential and we were going to open up a, a restaurant there. And then this whole crisis kind of hit. So the plan has been to come up with a solution, you know, obviously. And, so far, I've been thinking along the lines of splitting the restaurant. So the the building is so big, there's actually like two floors and 
um, there's a bar side and the bar side has its own entry and exit. And then the restaurant had its own entry and exit. So we could split that concept and still keep a small, like drive up style burger bar, for example, you know, like the old drive in style hot dog stands. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with those, but around here, they're, they're a big hit now. You know, people can pull out your card and, and wave it in front of a machine. You don't have to, you know, there's nobody touching anybody. You don't get out of your vehicle. So I think concepts like that are going to really take off. And then the other side of the restaurant, we're thinking more along the lines of a retail style setup to where people will come in and or do curbside delivery and then now we're thinking about delivery of meals ready to go and they could be in different styles so um, family styles would be something to where you know there's five or six portions of salad all in one bowl and you guys could pass it around the table and still have that family style setting while not having to go to the grocery store and and uh walk around with however many other people have been in there that day. That's right. I think we're going to, I think that's 100% spot on Kevin and where the world is actually going right now in terms of meals, in terms of people, this grab and go thing. Like I made an appointment at the vet the other day because Brutus, my dog has a, it's his yearly checkup, but he has a small like style like literally on his eye and so i'm like okay i need to get him to the vet just have it looked at now and they're like well sir you pull in the parking lot now you call in we take your inbound information over the phone and then um we come outside and we get the dog from you and you stay in your car while we do the vet exam and then bring the dog back out to you and i'm like okay that's, I mean, it's weird. I was a little uncomfortable with it. I'm like, you're talking about my dog here, and you want me to let him go and go inside and examine him? And, uh, you know, sounds kind of awesome to me. <laughs> you know, yeah, you want to drain, you want to drain his, you want to drain his anal glands without me there? How dare you? You know, but I mean, I got a little overprotective, you know, but it's, but I, it is the world we live in now. I mean, we're not going to be going into stores and stuff. We've changed that dynamic. And, it's going to be a long time even if we figure out a cure for this before we trust the world enough yeah. to sort of do that. I mean, I mean, I could be walking the dog down the street and someone literally will go like 10 feet out of their way to make sure they don't get anywhere near me, you know, so. I live in um, southwest Virginia in the mountains, and we have a little local store that opened. It opened about this time last year. Um, we, I live amongst the, um, old orchards here. The, we used to have apples, just acres and acres of apple orchards. And, and of course they're gone and they've been replaced with, with town centers. Um, but this, this little grocery store opened and, and Kevin, it's exactly what you're describing and their business is phenomenal. They've put together, we have some, some local farms that do grass fed meats. Um, so they take the, you know, the grass fed items, package them there. These are of course raw, but they package them with, um, the local, you know, whatever's in season at that time, together a meal plate for a family. 
Um, we also have a, a local creamery. So if, if you want to go and just do your one-stop shop, they, they take your order, they go in and shop for you and then, and then bring you your groceries out to the curb. So they've, they've pivoted obviously from having a, a lot of foot traffic, but, uh, they're thriving. So, um, I think that's, that's the positivity of it. And yep, that's where creation comes in. Like you were talking about, I think. Yeah. I'm excited that they're still there because that's the service they provide me. Um, and, and yet they're also feeding their families because they're, they're still in business. So I'm, I hope to, to leave people with that message that it's, it's just different. Yep. Sure. Now, so Kevin, you ready some, for some Q and A from, from the audience who's all reached out and, and it's got a bunch of Q and A for you. I figured they knew that we were doing a part two. So, um, everyone who listens in, thank you for listening. Number one. And number two, thank you for always, um, reaching out and asking questions and stuff. I keep them, uh, for future podcasts, but I should probably do a little bit of a better job of actually letting everyone know that a lot of the questions I do in the part twos and the part threes actually comes from the audience who send in questions for the entrepreneurs. So if you guys have questions for certain episodes, please continue to um, DM them in. That's the easiest way through social media. Um, you can also email them in at um, justin at the com. That's my email address for the podcast. So continue to do that. So Kevin, you ready for question number one? Absolutely. Okay. It says, Kevin, have you always considered using gluten-free items in your recipes and products, or is it something that you just happen to stumble upon? Um, kind of both, I guess. So... I know right now everything is trending towards gluten-free and diet restrictions and everybody has some uh, special plan that's built for them. However, my sister has celiac disease and it's not real bad for her. However, nonetheless, um, there's people out there like that that actually have a, a medical issue to where they, they have to eat you know, as gluten-free as possible or completely can't even, you know, inhale flour dust or they're going to, their throat's going to swell up. Um, so a lot of the products that I've made, well, I guess to step back in the beginning, I only had a couple products and I knew that, you know, the bacon jam was going to be gluten-free and the pizza sauce was gluten-free. And then I was looking at them like, hey, these are all I can make all of these to be gluten free, so we might as well just just do it right out of the you know right out of the gate. And uh, I I love bread. I love flour. Has nothing to do with that. I eat bread every day. Um, it just happened to fit the product line, and in today's market, especially on with like online search optimization, if if you don't really have any good descriptors your product just falls lower down the list so it definitely helps with um search engine optimization and obviously it's great that my sister gets to eat my food so it's a win-win okay 
Um, do you have anything on that, um, Sandra? You want to talk a little bit about gluten free at all, or clarify celiac disease for the audience? Um, well, celiac celiac disease is it's find my words. It's a it's an immune reaction to gluten in the lining of our intestines, which means that um, you can have a myriad of symptoms. So even the smallest amount of gluten can trigger that that reaction in your body. So to Kevin's point about his sister, you know, even small amounts, um, say an item was cooked on a grill that had been had an, a previous item c- cooked with flour on it, that small transmission of that protein, that ir- that gluten protein can trigger someone with celiac disease to have a reaction. Uh, I wish I could explain it better. Um, but that's, that's, is a, a medical diagnosis. What we know about people that are gluten sensitive or um, gluten intolerant, that, that seems to be more of the population. The, the mechanics of that are still being flushed out. There's a lot of science out there around what's called leaky gut, um, which is different in some aspects than celiac disease, although it does have some of the same kind of components. Um, and I'm not, I, even though I'm a dietitian, I've been out of the GI world for about 15 years. So, so my, my verbiage is a little bit um, weak, but for the, the point of being gluten free in terms of foods, you can have a certified gluten free food, or you can per, per labeling guidelines indicate that your food is gluten free, not certified. So what that means is that you've either tested your food for a certain part per million within the food that, that makes it certified, or you have looked at your ingredients and you've looked at your processing and you have indicated uh, through your due diligence that you are not inducing gluten into that food. I hope, I hope that helps a little bit. Yeah, Absolutely. Thank you, uh, Sandra, for clarifying that. And I actually am a person that has a gluten sensitivity. Um, my hands literally start peeling off in my knees and my elbows. It's a, a weird reaction when I eat uh, gluten as well as white potatoes for some reason. I have an allergy to them as well. So um, both those things cause me adverse effects. And if I put the two of them together, it's a nightmare. So, uh, so. Um, what we're learning about all of that is that it's um, kind of an exponential effect. In other words, once the immune system is kind of triggered, then it becomes more and more hypersensitive to other proteins. Um, so that's why so many of us in the in the in the world are starting to avoid gluten because we know that it it can kind of open the gates to have more sensitivities. So I appreciate folks like Kevin who who do make foods for us that are just really, really good and also free from, um, you know, those irritating proteins like gluten. Yeah. All right, yeah, Kevin. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that, uh, you know, if you go way, way, way back, 
humans primarily ate meat and and then in you know the evolving of time and population growth and farming agriculture came into play and and uh wheat started to get grown and people were making bread and it wasn't right. something that were you know our stomachs were used to technically if you want to really go back to ancient times right and there's lots of different um schools of thought on that depending on which expert you talk to and um so yeah i think that that the take-home message is we're all starting to use a lot of self-experimentation and there's many people that have been doing that with their diet for you know 20 20 years real intently and they've kind of honed in whether it's through their genetic studies or just through like i said self-experimentation um and they know kind of what foods really do aggravate their their systems more than others so all right cool next question ready okay um justin i want to ask kevin um, a question about recipes, but first I want Kevin to know that the bacon jam recipe for his bacon salmon is absolutely my favorite recipe and way to cook fish on the planet. I would like <laughs> to ask I would like to ask Kevin if he ever considered putting more recipes online or actually writing a recipe book or online recipe book that incorporates all of his products into many different recipes. I know that I love all of his products and would greatly appreciate recipes for every single product line that he has. So I guess the question is, did you ever consider uh, writing more recipes um, and an online book or or digital recipe book to go along with your product line? Yeah, uh, absolutely. All of the above, you know, the, the recipe cards that I have on my website, and if you've been on my website, you've seen them. If not, it's uh, mwfresh.com. You can go on there and you just hover over the recipe card and it flips over and there's a recipe on the back of it. And then anytime people order stuff, either from my website or Etsy, I, I send them recipe cards that go with their products. So I have a few recipe cards. I know it's not a whole lot. Um, there's more online than I have now at my warehouse simply because I've just ran out of some of them and haven't gotten them printed again. But um, I do want to make more recipe cards and I have lots of recipes to make them with. I mean, writing recipes is something that just happens to work. It's something that I've done for a long time and I, it's not easy per se, but I like doing it and, it's fun, so I can definitely write more recipes. And to answer your other question, I have been wanting to write a book, like a recipe-style book, for quite some time. I'm just not real sure how to go about doing it. So I'll cross that bridge soon, hopefully, and, and figure it out. Mm-hmm. All right, next question. Kevin, why do you think the bacon jam is the best seller of your product lines? That's a great question. So in the beginning, when I first started doing this, I thought that 
because I had a really great marinara and a pizza sauce and a barbecue sauce that that was going to carry me. And the reality was, is that I was naive to the size of the, the competition base in general, I guess. And while I had traction locally here in my small town, it wasn't enough to make ends meet, you know? And I had a whole list of other products that I had been wanting to, to make up. I just hadn't done it yet. And well, I mean, make up, I mean like bring it to the first sale, you know? And, um, I just started looking through my books and seeing what, what everybody really liked and, you know, remembering the reviews and at the restaurants and bacon jam was one that was a huge, huge hit. Um, and it's also a unique item. So that's something like I had mentioned before, and I'm trying to come up with more unique items and newer items that people are interested in other than trying to compete with, you know, the pregos of the marinara world where they're selling, you know, $3 jars for that are three times, two times the size of mine. And uh, it's just hard to compete with companies that buy in millions when you're the small guy trying to start a company. Um, So focusing on those niche markets and the, you know, gourmet markets or wherever your skill set falls in line with, I think is, is what you need to capitalize on. And that actually leads into this question. We talked a little bit about it before we got on, but I'll ask the question and they, they just straight up asked, what is the difference between bacon jam and spicy bacon jam? So the regular bacon jam, when I launched it, uh, I don't know how to answer that right off the gate, I guess. it's So the spicy bacon jam didn't come around for probably eight months, maybe six or eight months, and it was just because people wanted a hotter version. Makes sense. Um. I was also trying to come up with products to, you know, to expand the offering. And there's a video from, I think it was like the nineties maybe. And the guy was a consultant for Pepsi and a consultant for a few different, really, really big companies. And he, he, uh, did a presentation where he was speaking at about his time consulting. And it was to, you know, if you want to become a powerhouse company or more, not necessarily a powerhouse from my eyes, but for him talking to Pepsi, that it's not necessarily making the best Pepsi. It was making the best Pepsis. Yeah. And so spice, you know, making another version of the regular bacon jam that was already a best selling product. It was just obvious for me. Okay, and I think that this question sort of spirals off of this one. Um, Justin, I absolutely love Kevin's 
uh, Hoosier 101 hot wing sauce. However, I have I have also started to use the spicy bacon jam and bacon jam to make wings as well, and find that his barbecue sauce makes great wing flavors also. Kev, does Kevin consider making any other style of wing sauces to expand his brand, such as a honey mustard, a garlic parmesan, or the likes that could, I think they're trying to say benefit, uh, benefit yeah. his product line? Yeah, so I actually recently launched the bourbon barrel mustard barbecue sauce, and it's unbelievably awesome on wings i use it i originally created it for uh or to be similar to or not similar to but the my take on that south carolina mustard style barbecue sauce that's really it's not necessarily it's not watery but thinner than probably a normal barbecue style sauce um and just really strong flavors so I change it up a little bit and we add 30 liters of bourbon for every hundred gallons of mustard. So it's really full flavored. It's a great mustard sauce. If you like mustard, it's great on salads, just using it as like a salad dressing. It's great on all kinds of smoked meat. I love it on brisket. It's great on wings. Um, you got to try the bourbon barrel mustard. Awesome. All right. Uh, next question. I perceived from your website that you have gone into spices from wet products. Why the decision to move to spices and was the transition hard? Uh, that's so the Kate online, I actually had a, a little tin of Cajun rub in my gift pack for quite a little while now. And I just recently launched the blackened rub, which is like a shaker style. It's a two ounce shaker of blackened seasoning, which is a restaurant style blackened rub. You know, a lot of people really like blackened chicken and blackened fish tacos and stuff like that. And this is that style of rub that will give your food that blackened look and blackened flavor and appearance without actually burning it where a lot of people tend to, you know, cross that line. Um, so it's products that I've actually have five more seasoning blends that I need to get packed up. I just have never done it. Um, I have a whole envelope or a folder here, a three ring binder of recipes that I just haven't had time to pull together yet for, you know, manufacturing purposes. Okay, you ready for the next one? Yeah. I notice Midwest Fresh has uses has uses uh, mason jars. Why the decision to use that type of packaging versus the traditional plastic packaging, which weighs less? I don't know uh, if well, that question makes actually, sense. Yeah, no, that's a really good question because... In the beginning, when I was kind of coming up with my game plan, I actually ordered some plastic bottles. And I was like, this is what I want the products to be in. And, and um, plastic is good for shipping. 
you know, to I literally just mailed out a, a package this morning where two two jars broke, you know, from the postal service, which it happens from time to time. Um, then I started getting some feedback from different companies, and I was am grateful enough that I would. I was able to talk to a couple people from California that are in really big food service. Golden West Food Group is a really big company out there. And they told me I needed to go with glass because that's what's coming of age. You know, as far as recycling goes, glass is better on the environment. Plastic is not good on the environment. And, and there's a and lot of Kevin, too, I mean, just in, in working through some product development with you, we've, we know that we meet certain safety parameters in glass that we don't always meet in plastic. So because you bottle in glass, sometimes we're able to do things with a cleaner label. In other words, we don't necessarily have to add preservatives because of the way that we can heat treat the glass to make it a, a safe product. So that's, that's part of the answer to the question is that. Yep. That was the so, second thing I was going to say. And then also the kind of the icing on the cake was that as I was looking for plastic options um, and, and comparing them to the glass options, I realized that the plastic options came from China and you know, I'm not like, you know, I'm not against anyone or anywhere or anything like that. I am from rural Indiana, so it's I've always had that kind of uh, tick in my body to where I wanted to support local and buy from, you know, always drive an American made vehicle and, and so on and so forth. And the, the glass jars are are made in Arkansas. So it was uh it's an easy decision at that point for me. Okay. Um, Justin, I would like to ask Kevin if he's considered making a Chipotle bacon jam or a maple bacon jam to add to his line. Oh, ch- Chipotle sounds really yummy. Yeah, so I've, I've been thinking of a couple other bacon jams to add to the line. One would – I was actually thinking of a uh, – Jamaican bacon jam. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> just because the play, you know, it just sounds funny, and I think people would like the the name of it. But it would be like a, it would have probably pineapple in it, and maybe Marciano cherries or something like that, just to give it like a a tropical feel. Um, the chipotle is definitely a good idea. And here's the thing with the maple. There's a couple other companies out there that make bacon jam, and they all use maple syrup in their bacon jam. Uh, interesting. Um, I say they all, and I think there's like three. Um, so it's not that many. But I'm not really trying to make a product that's similar to theirs, so I'll probably stay away from the maple-based bacon jam. However, the Chipotle is definitely a good idea. And, and and with the maple, if you use maple syrup, it would go back to again. You might would have to add a preservative. That for now, you you don't have to add to your bacon jam, which is awesome. Right. Okay, let me 
scroll through here. Some other ones. Some of them are a little repetitive. Um, Kevin, how did you come up with your label and logo? And I, and I love the idea of the different logos within the logo to represent the products. So I think they're talking about maybe how there's a barrel on the barrel mustard and a pig on the bacon jam and the shrimp on the cocktail sauce would be my guess. Yeah, can you that first part of the question again? Can you? How did you come up with your logo? And I guess it's different. They're trying to say different logos within a logo. Yeah, so that's uh that's a good question. Sorry, my son's saying hi to me right now. Clark. Hey. Sorry, he was saying that. Uh, you know how it is. That's all good. Um, so, in the very beginning, I was actually told that my idea was not good. And I tried to come up with a... Uh, in the very beginning, I my goal, you know, I was sketching out what I want my, what I wanted my logo to come up with. And I thought it was a clever idea and a very unique idea to create this circle logo that was the actual business name, Midwest Fresh, which is the outer circle of the logo. And that is my logo. And then each product would be circle. And the inner of the circle would change with every product. And anything with that, you know, that Midwest fresh circle on it would stand out in my mind when I first created it. Um, because it was so, it was a unique logo. It's not just the traditional, um, badge style or crest style logo. And I've had a lot of, I guess, kickback from, you know, graphics design places, people that were trying to talk me, talk me out of, or talk me into how to, how they knew how to make my idea different and better. And I actually have a Midwest Fresh logo that is a badge style logo, and I never use it just because it's not what I my vision was. Um, I just like that circle style logo. Yeah, I actually love the logos within the logo, and I didn't actually fully look at it until now on each product line until I just read the thing and I quick pulled it up online. And um, I like that the product indicates what it is, and if it's got some spice to it or whatever, the logo's in red um, and versus yep. the green. And I'm a fan of color coding, just so everyone knows, like, that's my brain works in very like file cabinet style. So like that type of thing, I, I love that to differentiate the products. And I think it's just so spot on. And I think actually I'm going to scroll to this question. I had skipped it before. Um, but um, it's a statement. And then a question, Justin, I absolutely love Kevin's products. I have been buying Kevin's products for a little while now. I actually find myself taking his products and adding things. For example, I take the cocktail sauce and add a Louisiana hot sauce to create a spicy cocktail sauce. I also even create a spicy tomato sauce when we do make your own pizzas. Does Kevin consider making 
more brands underneath the cocktail sauce, such as a spicy cocktail sauce or a spicy tomato sauce, or even other sauces such as, I don't know what that word is. I think he's trying to say pesto, basil sauce um, for the, the sauce. Does he consider expanding his other product lines with options such as spicy or whatever? Okay, and then um, I can't fully understand the next sentence, but he goes on to ask, would Kevin consider even writing recipes for each of his products on how to spruce them up or change them? For example, turn the tomato sauce into a basil pesto sauce or a spicy tomato sauce. Or mixing it and making a cream tomato sauce. I see what the question is now. Okay, yeah, I I definitely do that. Um, I do that here at the house. Actually, I'll I'll take the tomato two point and and mix it with half and half, or usually cream, and make you know a pasta dish or something like that. Um, can you break that question down for me and do like the first part? Yeah, the first, the first part is, um, are, would you consider taking products like, I'm going to translate roughly, um, this, I, just so everyone knows this question came in from India. So parts of it are very good English. Others are, are broken down, but I appreciate the question, uh, Mohinder. So it's, um, it says, Basically, the real cocktail sauce is, um, he adds spice to it. Oh, it's actually an American. It's not from India, but um, it has an Indian name. Sorry about that. It's from New Jersey. It's a spicy real, basically, would you consider making a spicy real cocktail sauce or a spicy tomato sauce or issuing recipes that would tell people how to turn your basic products into like spicy or cream sauces and things like that. Got it. Okay. So that there's kind of two answers to that question. So, uh, well, actually let's go with three answers to tell it, to be completely upfront about everything. The cocktail sauce is one of those products that there's so many different cocktail sauces out there that, people kind of overlook it, you know? Uh, so it's not one that sells a whole lot. It's not one that I've put a whole, whole lot of thought into. Um, and I would probably rather focus my energy on creating a product that wasn't on the shelf everywhere already, or, or maybe a, a version of a product that hasn't been sold you know, before yet. So there's a company here in Indiana that makes a very spicy cocktail sauce and they have a lot of traction. And it was one of those things to where I wanted a good cocktail sauce to be able to sell to a couple of the restaurants and then also retail. Um, however, I wasn't trying to compete with them. Yeah. It's interesting. So I'm a little bit um, getting the email address. So this person lives in Mahinder. I apologize about that. But you live in New Jersey. But he apparently sends some of your products. He orders your products online and then sends some of them to his family in India to try. Wow. So Thank that's you, pretty man. cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I, rem- I, I, you know, New Jersey, I feel like I remember shipping product out 
fairly frequently a few times to that so maybe that they were him yeah um, i don't know with all the, so different... the the tomato sauce the tomato 2.0 that's i did not make a spicy version because it's more like a it's a pizza sauce it's a brick oven style pizza sauce and i didn't want it to be overly hot it, it is really full flavored and it has a lot of herbs in it it's a very very good pizza sauce there's a couple restaurants that use it um here in indiana and uh everybody really loves it so i haven't really thought about changing that one or adding up to the tomato the pizza sauce line i used to have a marinara sauce and the marinara was like a uh, traditional roma style marinara and i loved it everybody loves it actually still get emails every once in a while from somebody saying hey do you have any more of that marinara and I quit selling it because there's too many companies like Prego and these other, you know, giant manufacturers that it's hard for somebody trying to start a business to compete with. And the area that I'm in, especially in Indiana, the Midwest, people are price point driven, I guess. Not necessarily 100% price point driven, but a lot of people are price point driven and not necessarily nutritional nutrition driven or driven to feed the local economy. Um, so you got to be able to battle, you know, when you start a business, it's, it's about knowing the path that you're going to take and who you're going to compete with and who and how you're going to make everything happen. Yeah. And I apologize to the audience and, to Mahinder, uh, I totally slaughtered that question badly. Um, I think I skipped a line in the question, but that's basically the the answer there. So, um, all right, Kevin, I have three more I've sort of highlighted for you. Um, and I think this one just sort of tapers off the last question. Um, where do you see the most sales of your products in what region and is it a higher percentage compared to the rest of the country? Hmm. You know, I am kind of looking at those numbers all the time and it fluctuates so much that it's hard to say, you know, like some weeks I will, as far as online sales anyway, I'm not sure if you're talking about retail or online. I'm not in a lot of retail stores across the country. It's more uh, Midwest based at the moment. Um, but as far as online sales, it's so it's random, you know, like some some weeks I will ship a lot out to California and some weeks they'll Florida is comes and goes pretty frequently and um, pretty consistently. I do have orders locally. However, I would say that a lot of the orders come from either extremely rural areas or extremely populated areas like metropolitan style areas i i don't like google maps people's addresses when i get orders i just fill the order you know i'm not trying to be a, a creep like that however i do you know every once in a while i like to look and see where the you know the city at least that it's going to and um a lot of them are the smaller little outer lying cities 
outside of a big place like, you know, Indianapolis or Los Angeles. Um, Houston has a lot of, of cities that are actually probably referred to as Houston, but they have different names. So yeah. it is interesting to see that it goes to a lot of metropolitan and then extremely rural areas. It's pretty cool. It's amazing how the world works now, how easily we can get out there through the internet and spread products about. All right. Next question. Um, and it's a statement and a question. Justin, I recently listened to your episode and decided I was going to go to my local grocery store and and see if I could find any bacon jam or similar products that were described in the episode you did with Midwest Fresh. I found myself in an aisle of Walmart with Kevin's bacon jam. Does Kevin plan on putting any more products into Walmart? And if so, could you tell me how his experience was of getting into Walmart and the effort that it took to get in there. I hear that it's always extremely hard to get into grocery stores and, and other like stores. Justin, we might need an entire podcast to answer that. (laughs) I can, we can come back to that question if you want. Hey, Hey Justin, I, I wanted to say that I went to many grocery stores and I, again, I live in in the southwestern part of Virginia, so uh, you know we're in a big city, but we we do not have like a Whole Foods or any any of those. We don't have a Publix. Um, our grocery stores here are, are Kroger and Walmart. Um, with all that being said, I could not find bacon jam at all. Um, there, there was no similar products. I looked through all the aisles where I thought it would be. Um, I asked the grocers and they did not have, um, even a product that was remotely close. So that's, that's been my experience with finding that type of product on the shelves for me locally. It's interesting. It's kind of, sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead, Kevin. I was just going to say that's kind of where my where my point was lying before was that there's so many companies out there with barbecue sauces. However, there's not very many companies with bacon jam. So when you go into a store, you know, and you're whoever is out there trying to start a food company walks into a store and you've got spaghetti sauce they're they're probably not going to have any shelf space for you. You know, there's no there's no grocery stores out there with empty shelves and signs hanging waiting on a cool new product that we already have 17 versions of. However, you will get a response from people if you walk in there with a a unique product that you can prove has traction in other places or other communities or maybe it has won an award or whatever the case may be and they can try it and they can see the application for it. And, uh, you're a lot better off with something that's a little more unique, but, uh, to go back to that Walmart question, just to sum it up for him. But honestly, I, we could talk about Walmart. I, there, I probably have like 55 spreadsheets on my computer that I had to fill out for Walmart just in the onboarding process alone. 
Um, so recently Walmart launched my products in an incubation period in the Arkansas, mainly Arkansas, but also in like five other states that all kind of touch Arkansas. And it's gone rather well. So I'm super glad that she found the bacon jam in Walmart. And I, from what I understand, they're looking at, you know, expanding the, expanding the store count for me. So I'm really excited about that. That's pretty cool. I think, um, interestingly, um, her, her favorite thing for the bacon jam is on a sourdough toast, but her son actually likes it on his pancakes in the morning. That she was the way she finished the email. So that's interesting. I actually made that bacon jam more of like a lunch or dinner item. Yeah. Uh, so it's always fun to hear what people like it on. It's, I've I had somebody tell me that to that they eat it on ice cream. Huh. That might be and, pretty good. <laughs> yeah, you get the, the salt the salty and the sweet and kind of the, the tangy. Yeah. It's kind of interesting. Lighten up all those um dopamine receptors for us. Yeah, there yeah. you go. <laughs> All right, I'm going to ask the last question. Uh, there's a lot more here. So, Kevin, I think we should probably uh, plan on doing another episode here because I, I didn't actually, until we really started scrolling through here, there's a lot of different questions here. But um, but this is the last one I'm going to ask here, and we can talk about another episode. Um, but this one is, uh, Justin, I ship a lot of my own products in similar glass mason jars. However... I find that my breakage is between 20 and 22% uh, in shipping. I was wondering if you could ask Kevin how he ships his glass and and if he has the same amount of breakage that I do. That's a lot of breakage in my own experience. Yeah, who is she using, FedEx? It doesn't say. And... Um, that's what Amazon was recently complaining about with FedEx. You remember reading about that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I use the USPS, the postal service, and they pick it up. So I fill all the orders usually at the end of the day or in the morning and they pick it up when they do their mail drop. Um, I always write in a, I have a Magnum Sharpie. I'm not sure if you've heard of those before, but they are huge Sharpie. And I always write glass, you know, on every side of the box that I can. And um, everything usually gets bubble wrapped unless I, it's just one or two jars. Then I'll put it in a cardboard box to where it's very tight fitting and has probably the cardboard box will have like two or three layers of cardboard on the walls. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, and I actually, that's funny, I actually have three questions that are all similar about that same thing, about glass breakage, uh, dealing with glass breakage. Um, so I'm actually, I said that was my last question, but I'm going to tie it into this one. If you have glass breakage, do you refund people or send them a, a new product? Yeah, I've definitely had it. I mean, not a terrible amount, like not, definitely not 22% by any means. Um, not enough to where I've even calculated to see how much it was. I think last year I had like maybe six boxes, six packages that had some broken jars in them. 
Um, not a whole lot. Usually people just email me or, or, uh, call the, you can call me and, uh, tell me what happened. Obviously people usually send pictures and, uh, I just ship them new product. Yeah. And I think that kind of answers the third question. I think that at losing 22%, it's worth looking at the way you're shipping it or who you're shipping with. Or, you know, is it the local place you're dropping off on at, at, are they mishandling it? I mean, I think to assume that, um, no, I don't know the, the full answer because I don't know how you're packaging the product or whether it's a box or you're wrapping it. It definitely probably shouldn't go in an envelope. Um, I've seen people send me stuff for this podcast, um, samples and stuff like that, where they stick it in a padded envelope and wrap it. And it's glass, and by the time it gets here, it's a disaster, and it's leaking out of the bag, um, by the way, which the <laughs> raccoons and the coyotes love around here. Um, they love going after the packages that are leaking food. And so um, I think, you know, it really, it's amazing to me, um, and I don't want to take it, this is not a stab at anyone, but the when you're in the food and beverage business and you're shipping stuff online, you need to do your, you've spent all that time developing the packaging, developing the label, developing the product. You don't want to not follow it all the way through. And, and Sandra can verify this at food service partners. We found the same thing. Like we're so great. We were so great at all these processes, but one of the things we're lacking is the last step. We do all these samples and then we send a sample and we wouldn't make sure the samples were packed properly. We could send the products anywhere on the planet properly, but for some reason when we were sending samples to clients, we we were just messing up that step. We weren't it was like we suddenly were done with the process and we just kind of let it go for the last step. I, I don't know how to describe it other than just give it what it was and we're like we really need to go back and focus on this piece like we've spent all this time developing these great products with this clients and then we're shipping them in a way that's either harming the product or or it's being delivered and it's not being you know all this professionalism we do in developing the product it's not being seen in the samples that we send and so my point being this is that You've, if you want a great customer experience, you've got to create the customer or client experience all the way to the end, and that includes the way you ship the item. I mean, you don't want to wrap it in so much bubble wrap that it takes me an hour to get the packaging off. But you want to figure out a way that makes sense because if you're losing 22%, you're losing a lot more than some extra packaging is going to cost you um, if you're replacing and refunding the items. I mean, how do you feel about that, Kevin? Yeah, I was about to butt in there uh, because I couldn't agree more. I actually, you know, when I I mentioned those packages breaking last year, and I did have one package break this year. I think it was actually this week, actually. Um, It was just two jars, but it was my own doing because I was trying out some different, some larger bubble, like these air pocket things, instead of using smaller bubble wrap. And to my point or to your point is that that's what you got to do. You got to try out different packaging and see what comes, what works best. Sandra, I mean, you're on the, 
commercialization side for food and beverage products at FSP. I mean, how do you feel about all of that? I mean, you're involved a lot in the sample shipping and the and specking bottles and packaging and stuff like that. Sure. And um, I think I would say that part of what we're learning in the age of social media is the experience of unwrapping the package, you know, has been elevated to a whole different level. If you follow any influencers at all on Instagram, you see that, that the whole art of unwrapping the package is it's, I would equate it to when you have presentation by a chef for your meal, you know, they're particular about the garnish and, and the arrangement on the plate, you know, and for your dessert, how the, how the swirls of hot fudge get get plated prior, you know, before the dessert. So the whole art of packaging is, is something that we're capturing now. Um, So it's, it's not just, about getting it there intact, but it's about the experience of opening it. And especially in the, in the pandemic that we're in, we're getting so many more boxed items. And, and that is part of the experience of the day is, is, is unwrapping that package. So we are, you know, when we talk about commercialization of, of new items, we do talk from from the very, you know, first concept all the way through to the arrival and the full experience by the consumer. So um, it goes back to what we said about glass. I am very partial to glass um, for, for different reasons, but I'd, I'd much rather, you know, receive a glassed item than a, um, a plastic item. And I, I liked the point that Kevin made about um, that, coming you know that provides jobs in in the u.s for for a lot of people in terms of buying those um glass made products so i think there's a lot of what 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 i will also say is that in behind the scenes depending on what type of packaging you're looking at whether whether it's um glass or a a package that we're trying to reduce our um footprint from plastic Um, a lot of it goes to the type of food that's in it and the moisture content whether we have to add oxygen scavengers um, whether we're packing in glass I mean it's a whole we could have a whole conversation a whole podcast around packaging and and safety and how different types of food um, demand a certain types a certain type of packaging so and, and and I think that's something that consumers you know, should be educated about. So there's a lot to it. Um, Justin, to your point about us as a company, because I do work with Justin at Food Service Partners, you know, we we kind of missed a step or two there. And I think that we quickly um, rebounded and now pay, pay great attention to how we send out our samples. Um, but it's a whole area of expertise. So, um, you know, for, for your audience here, I think, you know, I would encourage you to reach out, reach out. If there's a question about packaging, um, reach out to, to Justin, he's got, um, some great connections now. And, uh, I just, I just want to say it's, again, it's elevated. We've elevated that in terms of, of how we experience the final product. I would also recommend to this, I don't know how much she's really shipping out, but 
I would recommend going to a few different, and I say that because I mean a few, I don't mean just going to one, to a, a box manufacturer and take the products that you're shipping with you and they will they will use those products to create a sample. And if you let them know that you're shipping the products in these boxes, they will make it shipping worthy, you know. And it might cost a little bit for that initial order because you have to order, you, know, you have to pay for those die plates for the boxes. Um, but it, it's going to be way cheaper in the long run. You know, for example, I do, I have these gift packs that I sell that's uh, one bacon jam, one barbecue sauce, and one of the Cajun rubs. And it's just in a white mailer. And uh, I've always just ordered those white mailers from whoever had the cheapest ones at the time online, and that's what got me by. So just recently, I launched the new uh, barbecue grill pack, which is a, a barbecue sauce, the new bourbon barrel mustard, and a bacon jam, and a, a fancy box that has print on it. And it looks really attractive. It's, it's got that, you know, you know, you mentioned what the box open appeal. It has some cool graphics. It, um, it's very visually appealing. And those boxes are running me 26 cents a piece. Just to throw a number out there. Yeah, which is not too bad in the box world, actually. I mean, it's it seems like a lot, but I think it's worth it to not have the breakage. And it's interesting. I think a lot of people don't do this, and I've learned to do this myself. Um, it, we, and I do this at Food Service Partners, is if we have a new client come in and they have a certain product or they want certain packaging or they want a direct-to-consumer line, um, I actually have similar products ordered to my house. Um, I just order them and I see how other people package them. I think that that has a lot to do with it. I mean, there are other people out there doing this. So, you know, there's many, many different ways. And I recommend all of them. Talk to the box manufacturer, like Kevin said. Um, look at other options to ship it, the mail, the UPS, the FedEx, because sometimes it has to do with that. And then also see how other people are shipping it. I mean... You know, I'm yeah, pretty I, sure Amazon has it down packed, but I got to tell you, recently I've got a few things from Amazon that look like they went through a war. I mean, it's kind of crazy how badly damaged the boxes were. And so it was a little bit scary, um, but I mean, nothing inside was damaged, but the boxes themselves were damaged. So, I mean, we're in a world where packaging and home delivery has gone up. So it's just you know, we've, we're going to have to start taking a little bit extra precautions because the world's trying to catch up to what's just happened, which is everyone ordering everything online. Yeah. Have you heard of ShipStation? I have not. Oh, really? That's what I use. And is that is that work with your online store? Oh, yeah. So, uh, sorry, I should explain it a little better. Um, so I thought it was, uh, 
something you were going to say yes to. Sorry. Uh, so ShipStation is this, it's an online service that you pay for and you have your own log, you know, your login information and it syncs with your selling portals. So w- whatever websites you sell off of, if you have more than one, if you sell off of, you know, I'm listed on nature's warehouse, uh, which they actually just started ordering from me and shipping out themselves. And then also Mindful Market, and, which is a new a new online store for anyone that's trying to launch products. You know, uh, Mindful Market is worth checking out. And then Etsy and my website. So ShipStation syncs with those. And when somebody places an order, it goes into ShipStation and... I update my my orders, my order menu, whatever it's called, and uh, it pulls the online orders from the different websites all into one place. It automatically puts in their shipping information, so like their name and their address. You can also manually enter this stuff. And then you put in, I have all my box, like I input my box sizes so you can save the boxes that you use most, you know, for most of the time. So instead of measuring the box every time, I, I just click on which box I'm using and there's a scale here that I, I weigh everything with. So punch in the weight and then it comes up, it gives you a screen to where for you to select the, the service and you can select the postal service. And then you can select priority mail or ground or two day express or next day air. And it will, you know, give you the price on each of those. And you can select the one that best suits you, you know, for your price point or whatever, you know, whatever the case may be. And then there's also another option to switch from the postal service to UPS. And if you have a UPS account, you can see what, that box would cost with UPS and whichever one has the best rate for the day or at the time you print the shipping label and put in for a pickup and they pick it up at your warehouse or your house, your normal house or wherever you're shipping out of. That's really cool actually, because I've used Shippo before, which and I'm looking at it online, but the um, ship station has so much more integration and things in it and discounts on shipping and stuff like that. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it's awesome. I mean, it's it's been great for me because it takes all the guesswork out of it. It's also integrated with stamps. So when you need to purchase uh, – basically the money that you use to pay you have to put money in this a stamps account to buy the shipping labels with through ship station yeah and it does it does all of that for you instead of having to do it all separately you know everything's integrated and it's great wow that's cool i, I think you can go ahead kevin I was just going to say, I think it, when I first started out, I was, it was like $9 a month and I've upgraded to the, one of the other packages since then. Cause I'm shipping out a lot more, but it's, 
for someone just trying to start out and sell a couple items on Etsy, it's the perfect platform. Yeah, and it has um, integration into eBay and Amazon and Walmart.com. I think there's a lot of different avenues there. ShipStation, that's pretty cool. Or your Shopify sites or big commerce sites, depending on how you house WooCommerce, Alibaba. Um, there's a lot of that stuff. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, I've been real, I've been real happy with ShipStation. All right guys thank you um kevin and sandra for jumping on and kevin i'll get with you to set up another episode so we can sort of dive into the whole walmart conversation as well as some of these other questions i have about 11 other questions here that i think we should probably go through but i'll get with you and we'll set up a a part three and everyone in the audience if you like what you're we're doing and i know it's tough time right now but please continue to share the episodes and pass them along um nationally and internationally (laughs) And um, thank you, everyone, and everyone have a great day, and thank you for listening in. Sounds like a plan. Thanks, Justin.